Hey there, and welcome to the Unlikely Artist Podcast, where I'll teach you how to gain the freedom you need to become who you want, instead of who you've been telling yourself you need to be. I'm Heather Kerr. I went from international tax to art and coaching because those are the things I've been yearning to do. Listen in to find out how you can start doing what you love to in slow, easy steps each week. Let's dive in now. Welcome back, Savvy Souls. So I think you're going to think this is a super fun episode because this is where life coach and lawyer Angela Hahn interviews me in her podcast, Fit to Practice, which she's graciously allowed me to include as an episode in my podcast. Her podcast, Fit to Practice, is really fantastic. In that podcast, she collects stories from lawyers all over the world on how they are being, who they are, and redefining what it means to be fit to practice. I think if you listen to that podcast, you're going to find out she's got a pretty broad definition of what that means in the legal world. Getting to know Angela has truly been a highlight of my experience belonging to a coaching container where we and other coaches get coached by our coach, Simone Graciel. Angela's irreverent, smart, wise, and she always makes me laugh, which you're going to hear lots of in this episode. In this episode, you get to find out what it's like when I'm the one getting asked the questions. I think you're going to enjoy it because I have such a great rapport with her and her with me. In a future episode, you'll get to hear me ask her questions when I interview her, which you're definitely going to enjoy too, as she has so much wisdom to share whether you're a lawyer or not. Everything she talks about is readily accessible by all human beings, I would say. Here, we talk about mystical experiences and coincidences that took me from where I started out as an economist to where I am now as a lawyer and life coach. We talk about burning everything down that doesn't serve us. We talk about how radical career shifts aren't necessarily the leaps they appear to be, because really what we're doing is just rediscovering who we are. Angela and I have a great dialogue about age differences, about not making assumptions about people because they're too young or too old. It's a really cool discussion because, as you'll hear, we have really good rapport and we have huge admiration for each other and feel quite connected at a very deep level, and yet we're decades apart in age. As Angela says so wisely, it's about opening ourselves up to all the colors in the age spectrum. Finally, we land on the topic of how there are no silly desires, and we talk about how her decision to wear some glamorous makeup really opened her up to some other stuff. So I think there's going to be lots in here for you, lots of nuggets, and you're going to get to know me a little bit better because I'm always talking at you, talking at my podcast guests, and this is you getting to hear me get be interviewed. 
If you fall in love with Angela, like I have, you can find her on Angela-Han.com. That's A-N-G-E-L-A hyphen H-A-N dot com. And in any event, you're going to get to hear more about what she does soon when I interview her and release that episode for your listening pleasure. See you at the end of the episode. Okay, today we have Heather Kerr. Hello, Heather. What's up? Hi, Angela. It's so awesome to be with you here today. I'm so excited about being on your podcast. Oh my God, I'm so excited. We have this alchemy going on. Heather and I met through what we call a mystery room, uh, which is like a non-mastermind by our coach, Simone Soul. If you have been listening to me, Simone is like my main ultimate coach for life, business, marketing, everything. And so we are in this mystery room together and Heather and I were placed in a pod of four coaches and we already connected at a soul level, like the instant that we met, but <laughs> the, the, the place that we connected even more deeply was when I told her during one of our meetings that I had this headache on my left neck head side that just wouldn't go away. It just came back every single night. And then she did this like magical performance. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it sound like I was playing music. <laughs> I played the violin and your headache went away. <laughs> she asked me all these like questions about this headache and I was present. I'm not going to discount my role. Uh, I was present. I was answering her questions very faithfully. And when I did that, like by the end of our call, I just, I just had this like renewed sense of energy and the headache really just became very subdued. And it was just such a powerful experience. And I just talked about her on LinkedIn and, and we've just been connecting ever since. And so I'm really proud to, to invite her on today here because she is a lawyer and she stopped practicing several years ago and she'll tell us all about that today. So Heather, thank you for bearing with me with this long introduction. Well, thank you. And I just want to say that after I met you, I started following you on LinkedIn and I absolutely love your stuff. I think absolutely everybody in the world should follow your posts on LinkedIn. You set a standard for authenticity, but just like deep wisdom on every issue, like every post I look forward to reading and I get so much out of every post that you write. Ah, oh, thank you, Heather. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about you. You are a lawyer. Tell us how it started and tell us how it quote unquote ended. Okay, I have the most boring <laughs> story about how it started. <laughs> okay, so when I was an undergraduate, I wanted to do psychology. My dad made me go to business school, which I hated. Like It was called commerce at the time. So when I was switching out, I'd only taken two art subjects in first year commerce. One was economics and one was political science. And, oh, and the third one was psychology. And I wanted to go into psychology, but the psychology department never bothered to meet with me. And the economics department was all over me. So I ended up majoring in economics and political science. And I ended up moving to Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada. And I ended up becoming an economist for the federal government. And I worked in tax policy. And I was on the economic side and there were lawyers and accountants on the other side. And they kept sending me over to the other side to kind of spy on them. 
And I realized I was in the wrong profession. I actually always hated economics, but that's a whole long story. Like I just loathed it. It was all math. I actually wasn't that good at math, although I could do it well in it if I tried really hard. So I spied on these people. So I ended up after four years of being an economist quitting to go to law school to become a tax lawyer. So that's why I say it's like super boring, right? Because it's just like, I don't know, very unusual. Like I'm sure I'm the only person in first year who wanted to become a tax lawyer, Mm. you know, and that's what I ended up practicing for 22 years, 26 years. I'm, I'm forgetting it was more than two decades. I practiced that and I started off at law firms. I became a partner at law firm and then I left and joined Ernst & Young to specialize in international tax. So it's interesting working as a lawyer in an accounting firm because I ended up leading a group and kind of being involved in the business side more than I would have been if I'd just been at a law firm. So it was a very interesting area to practice. But by the end of it, what I liked the most was kind of the HR piece of leading a group, like just motivating and working with people. Yeah, we know when you when anyone says like, oh, I have a very boring story, it's actually the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Was this most people like I didn't used to like when I go to parties, I really didn't like talking about being a lawyer. Like I just wanted to relate to people at a human level which I used to think, I swear to offend your audience, but I used to think excluded being a lawyer. Yeah. So so that's how I used to feel. But the way I could put people off right away and they they wouldn't want to pursue it, I would just say, I do international tax. (laughs) Then it would be, okay, moving right along. (laughs) (laughs) I I definitely don't want to talk about that, Heather. So let's change the subject. (laughs) 26 years. That is a long time. And, you know, I just, uh, I just did the math It's 22, I think. Oh, 22. I mean, that's yeah. still a, a long time. Like I, I just quit after five years and I felt a lot of feelings about that. And yeah. so, well, first of all, what was it like just leaving at the time though? Something very strange happened to me eight months before I left. So by the time I left, it felt really good. The The strange thing was very mystical. <laughs> So I don't know if your audience is up for that or not. Oh my God. Yes, please. If anyone does not want to hear, they can turn it off right away. (laughs) Okay. So I was in Paris on a trip and it was in February. Uh, This was in 2014. I was there and like, it was beautiful outside. It It was really, really nice kind of spring weather, um, even though it was winter time and Paris was empty. Uh, it was a week when everybody was on holidays. So I was with somebody who just loved art and we spent a lot of time in the art museums. And so we were in the Rodin Museum and it was empty. We were in the Louvre and it was like literally empty. We were like, everywhere we went was empty. We went into Notre Dame and saw a service. It was like, we could just sit down. And so what that meant was I could stand in front of paintings and the art and just absorb their energy in a way that I'd never experienced before. So just rolling back, I had loved art when I was a kid. And when I was in grade five, teacher made a snarky remark about one of my things that I was very proud of. I was hypersensitive. I went home and cried every night for a month. And I classified myself as not artistic or creative right until 2014 when I was in my early 50s. I'm 62 now. So I was over there. I was steeped in art. And about fourth day into the trip, I woke up and I had visions of myself or a dream or whatever you want to call it. It was just early morning. And I could see myself in front of these large canvases. 
And I'd always told myself I didn't have any imagination, but I could see like all the details, like the painting in clear form. And it felt like this complete state of bliss. And the next day, the same thing happened the next day. And the person who's now my ex said to me, Heather, I think you need to journal this. I got up to 51 paintings. It was just like every day I was having these visions of me painting. And then I would, because I was fairly discontented at the time with my job. I didn't love my job. It hadn't felt like me for a long time. I felt really empty. And I just felt so blissful when I was doing that. And it seemed really meaningful. And then it was weird. I joined this women's business club in Toronto and everybody I met, even though the club is mostly entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, lawyers and corporate people and stuff like that. I'd go to an event and everybody I'd meet would be like a lawyer or a jewelry designer or somebody in the creative arts. And everybody was being really encouraging. And right away, I met this woman called Gail Hill, who just coincidentally that morning had had somebody drop out of this creative self group that she had that was to help you get in touch with your creativity. I was still a lawyer at the time, just like all of these things happening. And then something weird happened at work and I was fired from my major client and I was looking for a new area of practice and all of these things happened all at once. And so being February in Paris, I ended up leaving my job October 31st that year. And everybody was going, huh, Heather, like, you never really mentioned art before. <laughs> and I'm going, well, that's because I'm just going to learn how now. And they're like, is she like effing lost her mind? Like <laughs> people thought it was pretty nuts because, it, you know, I still had six or seven years to go to retirement. Mm. This is exactly why we connect at the soul level, because I think actually Simone talks about this too, about like, are we ready to burn down everything Yeah, for ourselves? Like yeah. burn down everything that doesn't serve us, right? When we do engage in the act of burning down the institutional structures in our lives, of course, like so many people are going to be like, oh my gosh, you're so crazy. Like what even is art? Why are you doing art? <laughs> I think all of us, like we have our own form of art and it's what connects us to our true identity that we talk yeah. about. And then there's just so much judgment because there's a misunderstanding of what we are doing. And so like the fact that you made that decision, I don't want to say leap, that you made a leap because it wasn't really a leap. It was re- just really just a meeting of what was already there, right? Yeah. It, it's funny though. People considered it really radical. Like People thought it was radical when I left the government to go to law school. And then I left my first firm. They offered me partnership, but I left to go to a different firm, which was considered radical. When I became a lawyer, I became a lawyer in 1990. It was considered really radical to leave your law firm unless you were kind of asked to leave. And then when I left my law firm to go to an accounting firm, that was considered ultra radical. So this is the mindset, right? For me to like just leave law completely and become an artist who'd never painted before. That was just like... (laughs) beyond radical. But you're right. It was me rediscovering what had always been there. And I just basically suppressed because I'd always been the good girl. I'd always, I don't know. Actually, that's not true. I was pretty rebellious and misbehaved. But in terms of my schooling and career choices, that's where I was the good girl. Mm. I, you know, because yeah, my parents were pretty conservative and they'd grown up in the depression and they were really worried about really highly focused on having a really solid job. 
it must have been even more like challenging in terms of the noise level around you when you were making these decisions for yourself that many years ago, like in 1990, when, like you said, there were norms. Yeah. And anything outside the norm was very radical. And so the noise must have been louder at the time. I think the main question is like, how did you cut through the noise? It's funny, like I describe myself as a scared girl who always does courageous things. And I think the reason I've done that is it gets to a point where the noise inside my head gets louder than the noise around me. Mm. It's really that simple. I can't stay here any longer. Sorry, my dog is making all kinds of like tinkling noises. <laughs> no she decided that she's going to make her mat. They, like they dig in their mat as if it's suddenly going to be suddenly smooth. <laughs> <laughs> so adorable. But you were telling me how you were cutting through all the noise. Yeah, cutting through all the noise. You mean like when I like switched to the accounting firm, that kind of thing. All of the, all of the switch. Well, I think there's a part of me that also knew that this was just some people's opinions. It was really fascinating when I left the government. It was like I was, you know, joining the army on the other side. It it was considered like people in the government were pretty devoted to not being in the private sector. And all of these people stopped talking to me and they were really angry with me. But one of the top bureaucrats there, definitely the highest level bureaucrat I knew, told me that he wished he'd done the same thing. Mm. at my age. So I guess I would scan for reinforcement despite the noise. It's kind of like Brene Brown says, there's all this noise around you, but decide who's going to matter to you. And I think she writes down the names of five people and puts it in her purse and says, these are the only people whose opinions matter. Mm. So I kind of did that. I kind of shopped for supporting supporting opinions, you know, just to bolster my own but but I mean, by, by the time I made my decisions, I knew for sure that that's what I wanted to do, that I'd considered it up, mm-hmm. you know, the Wahoos and back and life is too short, right? Mm-hmm. Which I feel like is heroic because, especially as lawyers, like we are conditioned to do everything ourselves. And especially when we do something radical and something very different, like quote unquote radical, that we have to also handle all of that by mm-hmm. ourselves. And so I think there's also this perception like, oh, like when we decide to quit, it's like we just made all that decision by ourselves and it was rushed and it was rash or whatever or immature or whatever. Mm -hmm. And those decisions were possible, at least for me, because I knew that there was a village, like you said, an army of people Mm -hmm. standing behind me ready to fight for me. Yeah, we don't really talk about that much. And and even if you don't have a ready-made village already you know you're going to be able to create one as soon as you make your decision because there are all these people on the other side Mm. who are going to be ecstatic to welcome you. Mm -hmm. You get to be with like-minded people. For me, also, some of these voices that were urging me not to do these things just reinforced my desire to do them Mm. because, yeah, it just made me feel like the people were urging me not to do it were just limited I would feel sorry for them. Like, (laughs) oh, I guess if they feel that way, they're not going to be attuned to what really matters to them and follow that. A lot of the people that would complain or be upset about it were also the people that complained about their jobs all the time. Mm. (laughs) You know? Like, Like, stay here with me and my misery. Right, right. 
Yeah. And like really, truly the people who are very much in tune with who they really are, like they are so willing to support you and do whatever it takes for you. I think Richard Branson, I think, is the one who said this quote, like train people well enough that they want to stay, but also enough that that you can let them go or something like that. I'm like totally butchering the quote, but it's like caring about them just enough so that they can realize their fullest potential. Exactly. It, it was amazing about, I don't know, two months ago, somebody invited me into her corporate group. She worked for a financial institution. Her boss brought me in to talk to this team of investment people, mostly lawyers and accountants. And she was just saying, I want you to meet Heather. So you can see that there's other options. You never have to stay here. Mm. I thought that was really <laughs> interesting thing for a boss to tell her people. There are other options. You never have to feel like this is a place that you're stuck. So yeah. And you know, when we say that, like, we feel bad for anybody who we feel is limited, it's not we're trying to be condescending. It's like, we can totally see that when you are limiting yourself to a particular square or box, there are more opportunities to feel suffocated, and more opportunities to lash out on other people. And that is very much true from evidence. <laughs> so yeah. And I think, I think when I'm feeling bad for them, I feel like I did stay in this career for 22 years, even though I never loved it, right? So, so yeah, I did these things that were theoretically bold. I'm making quotes with my hands, yeah. but I wasn't brave enough to leave earlier, which I wanted to. Mm. We always talk about like divine timing and everything, but that yeah. doesn't mean that we're going to just, as Simone loves this word, bypass our emotional experience, right? Like, oh, exactly. that is something that could have happened. There is a feeling that I'm having after all these years. And at this very moment that I'm making this decision, all kinds of things are coming up for me. Yeah. I mean, our emotions are pretty complex, right? And it's never pure bliss and it's never pure misery, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the thing that I feel called to talk about is something that we talked about during our last pod meeting, which is I talked about how it's so incredible the way you and another pod member that we have, like you guys are like 30 plus years older than me and the other member. Yeah, you can just say we're old. You guys are old. <laughs> I want to be accurate because some people say, oh, I am 70 years young. And so I just want to make sure that I No, I do feel young, but I realize that from your perspective, I'm old. <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. That's the thing. I feel like that that soul connection is there because it's like that connection sort of transcends the numbers. And the reason I was saying that in our in our call was that a lot of the people that I've observed who are 30 years older than me, mm -hmm. whatever, like they question my decision simply because of my age. Yeah, I don't, I don't even quite understand that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, just don't, I just don't get it. Right. And I thought that it was such a pioneering quality of you and the other person, I, I hope, uh, like, I, I don't want to like mention her name because I don't respect privacy, but that uh, the other member that we have, like mm -hmm. you two are just so appreciative of whatever is out there among other people, whatever their experiences, whatever their age is, you're always open to expanding your perspective. Like even like when you say things like, oh, like I really get something out of each of your LinkedIn posts, Angela, it's like, you are opening yourself up to all of the colors that are out there. 
And I feel like it's important to talk about this and ask you, like, how do you become someone like that? That's interesting. I've I've just always been really curious. And I I think maybe something that stuck in me early, my grandmother, I was really, really close to my grandmother growing up and she died when I was 25 and she was 82. And when I went to her funeral, she lived in this little town in Saskatchewan. And when I went to her funeral, this woman came up to me who was 42 years old and she was crying. And she told me that my grandma had been her best friend and she was 42 and my grandma was 82. Mm -hmm. And it was, oh yeah, that you can do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And my, my grandma had always done that when she got older, my grandfather, my grandmother had always been really outgoing, but he kind of started classifying himself according to his age. So he wouldn't do things with certain people because he didn't want to be with old people and he wouldn't do stuff with young people because he thought he was too old. Whereas my grandmother was like, oh, you guys are going to rent a bus and go a thousand miles to Chicago and watch a baseball game. I'm in like, oh, we're going to go square dancing. I'm in. Oh, you know, the young people are doing this. I'm in. They invited me. Right. So she just did whatever she felt like. felt like she got more open and looser and more engaged as she got older. And I guess she was a real role model for me. So Mm -hmm. I I still at 62, I still search for people that are older than me. Like I have a really good friend where I just moved to who's 82 and she's like super vibrant and it's got a million things. She's still running her own business. She's still like has these projects and I have, you know, friends who are in their thirties Also, I'd say the one thing that's, you know, maybe different than it was a century ago or whenever is I think people's lives used to be a little bit more standard. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe when lives went through a certain pattern and if you're a woman, this is what you did at this age and you did this when you're middle aged and you did this when you're older. I guess if you're older, you'd gone through all the stages and you kind of were the keeper of all the wisdom. Mm -hmm. Whereas today, anybody your age has gone through completely like what it was like to be young at your age was completely different than when I was that age. You know, you also come from a different nationality. So you had different experiences for that reason. We're just exposed to such different things that young people can teach me definitely just as much as somebody older than me. So I'm always just looking for age diversity. Oh my gosh. Age diversity. I love that because also in the legal profession, a lot of our career progress It's dependent on age, actually, right? And numbers of experience or years of experience. For example, like at a firm, you are first, you're second, you're third, you're fourth, and then seventh, whatever. And then like on a partner track or whatever. And on the flip side, like if you graduate from law school, like 20 years later or something, then what I have uh, been exposed to, the narrative I've been exposed to is, uh, is much harder Uh, for them to get a job too. And so it's like, you have to be at this perfect age in order to ascend in the corporate ladder. And in some firms, certainly in the accounting firms, but I I know also in a number, at least in Canada of the law firms, if you become partner, they implement compulsory retirement at ages like 58 and 60. Mm. Like crazy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I know my firm we began to have this problem because there was this contingent of people that were just brilliant. They were considered the best in our field in Canada. And they were about between 14 and 17 years older than us. And suddenly it didn't matter that they had history and more knowledge about this stuff than pretty much anybody else alive. They still were going to be ushered out 
Mm. Um, because that was just the rules, right? Yeah. So there is this, there's stuff at both ends and it's, it, none of it makes any sense to me at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> like rules, absolute rules. Just, you know, I'm a bit of a rule breaker. If you tell me something's a rule, I'm immediately going to try to figure out how to break it. <laughs> it just annoys me. I've got a rebel ar- archetype. <laughs> so <laughs> and but they I- just often don't make any sense. Right. And new roads have been paved by rebels. Yeah. And so I think it's important that we even like that we took a few minutes here to question the status quo. This doesn't really make sense right now. Well, it doesn't. And I I just don't think it's going to be sustainable. I think, you know, companies have to be creative and nimble and ultra flexible. And these old styles of partnerships and, you know, the roles like the kind that you're talking about, I doubt that they produce the highest value. Mm-hmm. Okay, Heather, I can go on because because everything that you say is magic. And you know, we are we are at a different level here with the connection that we have, because you're like, I, I, the people won't be able to see this, but you have like these pair of glasses that are also like emanating some serious uh, magic over here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um and so we can the go lul.com the what.com z-e-e-l-o-o-l.com oh okay well you know what just just in case people are curious i want to put that in the show notes <laughs> but anyway go get yourself some funky glasses yeah yeah i love i oh my gosh yesterday speaking of okay i have to talk about this so the other day i had this download of like okay like I want to express myself physically, but I'm not really like in the mood to like, I don't know, go shopping for clothes or like dance or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what I really want to do is like put on the most radical makeup ever. Oh, fun. And so I, I went out and got like the most colorful palette of like eyeshadow. And then I got gold, gold, golden uh, lipstick. And I just put it on and it just felt great. Did you take photos and post them? I took one photo and put it on my IG stories. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be gone. It'll be gone. I think it's already gone. It was just like the feeling of really listening to my desires. And you know how like we've been conditioned to believe that there's such a thing as like silly desires. Mm. And to just know that I acted on my desire, no matter how little it made, it made sense, was just so powerful and then it's like you wearing those glasses uh it's just so exquisite it is unique it is shiny and i just wanted to share like if you have this weird desire to do something like really different from what you've been doing like can we please go ahead and do that yeah and it's interesting that for you you know it was putting on different makeup you can do that with your wardrobe or just things like that so easily and what happens is it ramps you up to do that in other areas of your life because you see how fun it is and the part of you that gets heard when you agree to go and put on sparkly gold lipstick and stuff like that. I think that part of you gets brave enough to speak to you about the other things at once. Mm -hmm. So that little act of listening can be transformational. Yeah. So I hope you do that more often. Yes, that's a promise. (laughs) All we have to do is listen. So Heather, my final question is, what does it mean to be fit to practice? Seriously, just be a human. Don't get caught up in 
the judgments and the politics and all that kind of stuff. Just be yourself and don't be worried about other people judging you because there's always going to be some people that think you're amazing and some people that are ready to think everything you're doing is terrible and upsetting and people are neutral in the middle. So you might as well just show up and be a human because then you'll feel better about yourself. We have been taken like ripped apart almost from our humanity to adhere to certain standards that has nothing to do with our humanity. Yeah, exactly. That That's exactly right. Because so many people that just started acting artificially, like I even remember when I became a lawyer after in Canada at that time, you had to article for a year and then do bar admissions courses for six months before you became a lawyer. And when we were articling and doing our bar ads and working at the firm, everybody, we had to share a pool of secretaries Mm -hmm. and everybody was so nice to them. But some people, really surprising people, as soon as they became officially a lawyer and they got assigned their own assistant, they treated them like crap. And so that's what partly what I mean by keep being a human, because I think when you devolve into I'm this role, I'm this status, other people are higher than me, so I'm going to suck up to them or they're lower than me, so I'm going to put them down. It dehumanizes you. Mm. So that's just something that I observed that, yeah, sometimes I feel like there were years that I lost my humanity a little bit. And then when I found it, I was While I was still a lawyer, I was much, much, much happier Mm -hmm. respecting myself, respecting the people around me and being real and not pretending, talking openly about my mistakes, talking about the troubles my kids were having instead of just pretending that everything was perfect. And whenever I did that, people just, you know, opened up people, my my office was a a bit of like a revolving door of people coming and asking for help, Mm -hmm. like just personal help because I opened those channels of communication. So that's partly what I mean by being a human too. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to connect with other people more. Yeah. Tell us how we can connect with you, follow you, support your work. Tell us about your work. What's going on? Oh. (laughs) Okay. So I'm a life coach and an artist and a retreat owner. And all of it's about creating joy in your life. So kind of following the joyful path. And there's one place where you can find everything I do. I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn. And I have a podcast called The Unlikely Artist. But the main place to find me is on my website, which is gracedcanvas.com. That's G-R-A-C-E-D, like in dog, C-A-N-V-A-S.com. And it's got my art, my coaching, my property, and probably more stuff about me than you'd want to know all there. Perfect. If all of any of this clicked, go to her website and she, you can also find Heather on LinkedIn, right? Yep. And I will link all of that in the show notes. Heather, thank you so much for... So Savvy Souls, wasn't that so much fun? I just love Angela so much. She always makes me laugh and it's nice for you to hear that. And she is super funny, but also so smart and wise. And I'm really looking forward to having her appear as my guest on my podcast here, where I get to ask her the questions. She's had a different journey. And it's really interesting to hear how she's navigated through things and the wisdom that she has. And it's something for you to look forward to. So go out, have yourselves a fabulous week. Laugh lots, right? See you next time. Bye now. 
So if you're energized by the possibilities you're hearing about on this podcast, but you're wondering how it's possible to actually make what you've been fantasizing about doing actually happen, I'd love you to join me for a free strategy session where we'll talk about coaching together. We'll explore how you can start making what you want possible by taking small, easy steps that add up to something amazing. Just click on the link in the show notes below this episode to book your free call. I'd love to meet you live. And all my listeners, remember, it's finally your time to do what you want.